I, well, I, I, okay. Tape tape is rolling now. Okay. It's happening. Uh, so get your shiz together. Uh, we're going to talk real world horrors. Oh, oh okay. Uh, it's going to get so much less fun. Mm, Ooh. I'm just going to count it down now. Ooh. Three, two... You're listening to Missing Out with Lex Michael and Tari J. Let's start the show. Hey guys, welcome back to Missing Out. We are the retrospective that's introspective. If this is your first time listening, we uh, introduce each other to some kind of medium, whether it be film, TV, movies, music, all that stuff. And then what we do is we break it down. We talk about first impressions. We talk about what it's like uh, experiencing it again. And then we just stick around a bunch. Yeah, sometimes we go on long digressions that have nothing to do with the original subject matter at all. That's true. And that's what is, You come here for the substantive conversation about media. You stay for the vaping birds or whatever else, <laughs> whatever else comes up. Yeah. Um, also, our weird alternate versions of movies. Yes. That's a big thing that happens. Well, you've noticed, Tari, I'm sure you've noticed, uh, and a lot of other people who have commented after after listening to one of our episodes, they'll like, throw a bit that we've done back at me. It's like, oh, this is when you guys are talking about X, whatever it happens to be. And I'm like, yeah, great. No memory of that. <laughs> I believe you. That does sound like something I might say. Yeah. I think you need to just start keeping a detailed record of all our bits. I feel like if I went back now and listened to every episode we've done so far, I would learn quite a bit about myself. Maybe things that I was not ready for. Uh, well, that's the best way to learn things. I suppose. Is to just dive in and really like expose yourself to things you're not comfortable with. Right, you'll never be ready. If you always wait till you feel like it, it's you'll true. never do it. Yeah. Progress is incremental, but like you'll never feel it if you don't take those steps, baby. One could say that you spend all your time learning. What? That <laughs> that was my segue. <laughs> was that into, a segue? That was a segue <laughs> uh, into the movie we're covering this week, yes. which is Higher Learning, a 1995 John Singleton joint. Uh, it was... Written and directed by John Singleton. It had a star-studded cast. Omar Epps, uh, Christy Swanson, uh, Michael Rappaport, Jennifer Connelly, uh, Lawrence Fishburne, Ice Cube, Buster Rhymes, Tara... No, who? Tyra. Tyra Banks. Tyra Banks in her, I believe, her first film role. Uh Uh-huh. Fun fact, Tyra Banks and Buster Rhymes, who appear in this motion picture, also share the screen together in a little magnum opus called Halloween Resurrection. Oh. It's like the Halloween you know and love, but with computers. Interesting. Is that how Michael Myers returns? Uh no. I forget how he Okay, so no, if you okay, so Hallow it's a sequel to Halloween H two O, and at the end of Halloween H two O spoilers for Halloween H two O, which if you believe the news will not count when the next Halloween gets released, I think, uh-huh. in a year or so, the one that uh, David Gordon Green and Danny McBride are making. Okay. Uh, but at the end, Jamie Lee Curtis has this uh, final showdown with Michael Myers, who, as we've learned uh, many movies past in Halloween 2, uh, is in fact her brother, uh, decapitates him. 
at yeah. the end of Halloween H2O. And because it's like, well, this movie made money, so we have to do another one. At the beginning of Halloween Resurrection, you discover that Michael Myers had switched places with with somebody, like a medic or somebody else. And so Laurie Strode decapitated the wrong person. Uh-huh. And so he's just out there wandering around. But then I guess like Buster Rhymes, I believe, Buster Rhymes and Tyra Banks are the producers of this uh, like a uh, reality show and the premise of this show is a bunch of people with cams on them like webcams on them yeah. will go inside the old Myers house and spend the night there and at, at that point Michael Myers comes home like he does and kills everybody on these webcams but we do we do get Buster Rhymes uh laying the smack onto him at a certain point and I believe if I remember correctly Buster Rhymes character survives the motion picture oh nice after after getting a few licks in uh Tyra however uh, her character does not fare quite so well. Oh. Spoilers for like five Halloween movies, I guess, that have nothing to do with higher learning beyond yeah. the beyond the presence of these two these two actors and the death of Tyra Banks, which that's is true. Related. Yes, both both with- characters, both Tyra characters, do not fare particularly well in their in their respective outings. Uh, however, however, though, yes, while Halloween. Those movies, as horror series tend to do, become increasingly over the top to where it's hard. It's hard for any of the deaths to carry too much weight. Uh huh. Yes, the the death of spo- spoilers for Higher Learning right off the bat. Yep. The the death of the Tyra Banks character in this movie and the circumstances surrounding that particular character death. Oh boy, I mean it's it's heavy, and I guess right off the bat. Um, we should probably talk about some of the subject matter that the movie deals with and also how it relates pretty directly to the exact conversations that we find ourselves having culturally right now in uh, we're, we're end of September 2017 as we're recording this. Right. And one thing that I said to you before we jumped on mic was sitting and watching the movie yesterday and I'd never seen it before. I started to feel incredibly unsettled pretty early on. Because a lot of the the social issues that the movie tackles, point for point, I mean, within the first hour, at least four, that uh-huh. are the exact, exact same conversations that we've been having this year. And this is a movie that is 22 years old, Yeah, know, I believe, 1995, I can do math. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it was very jarring to me. And I don't mean generally, I mean the exact same conversations we're having. There was a moment where uh, Fudge, the Ice Cube character, yes, asks uh, Malik, the Omar Epps character, if he stands for the national anthem. You know, like that's a pretty specific one to one. There was a moment where the Michael Rappaport character, who uh, Remy, who through circumstances we're able to track, gets involved with a group of neo Nazis, yeah. and it, it defines the way his character arcs for the rest of the movie and into this this uh, crushing darkness that ultimately affects the lives of many people on that campus. And there was a moment while I was watching this happen and I'm watching the the direction that this character is moving in and I had this moment, this silent moment in my head where I was like, bro, like, aren't the swastikas a dead giveaway that maybe these aren't nice people who you shouldn't spend time with? Oh, wait. We're having that exact same conversation now. Yeah. Swastikas apparently have not been a dead giveaway to certain circles of people for quite some time. Oh, no. Uh, I mean, I'm sure there are uh, nice people on both sides. Uh, Just, you know, this. Well, I will say um, that, like, there are a lot of really 
implausible ways for someone to get involved with neo-Nazis. And I feel like it was really well established in this movie. Yes. There are certain things, because it's a movie from from the early to mid-90s, and I will say... The and this isn't even a this is not a, a knock against the movie. It's just it's very much a product of its time in that aesthetically it feels very much like hard hard dated. It feels very aesthetically very, very much like a movie from the early to mid nineties. Right. But as we're saying, like these are not uh these are these are uh, apparently unfortunately timeless issues that we're dealing with still <laughs> they shouldn't be in theory we really should have figured this shit out a while ago, but but we haven't. And like the fact that this of course, this aesthetic product of a very specific time and place yes. still speaks so directly to, again, you go down the list, the exact, exact same issues that we are now really publicly talking about again for the first time in a while, yeah. I feel like, on on this scale. You know, I mean, obviously, having said that, these issues have never gone away. Right. Plenty of people have been incredibly aware of them but i feel like we are just now as a culture being forced to examine these issues again we're not we're not uh, granted the option that we once were some of us that are have the privilege of being more comfortable and less directly touched by some of these issues on a day-to-day basis yeah i think more and more and more people are now realizing no we we no longer have the option of ignoring this stuff and that's why these conversations are finally happening but yeah i found that I feel like I've said the same thing about three different ways so far. So maybe like real quick before we go too much further, we should okay. hit we should hit what some of the issues are that we're actually talking about. Okay. Well, I was gonna say uh, I was gonna actually use what you were saying to kind of segue into Kristen's story. In that I, earlier in the in this specific episode, I said I in jest said that like progress is a, it's a slow process. Uh, yes. Um, and it is. And so like yes, we are still talking about. Um, you know, racial issues and we're still talking about feminism and we're still talking about rape culture uh, even today. But like this movie, there, so a little background on this movie, specifically Kristen's storyline um, in which she start, joins college, uh, is raped, joins a feminism uh, community and then dances between two relationships, one with a guy and one with a girl. Um Originally, the the film, her relationship with uh, Jennifer Connelly's character, uh, Taryn, had an actual resolution and there was like a, a finality to it. But being made in the 90s, um, they decided to cut around that relationship so that it was very a lot more heteronormative. I did. I had a thought at a certain point in the movie where. They, yeah, they began to explore this relationship between these two female characters, and it was there. It never went away, and I never felt like they were ignoring it, but it did feel like we have an opportunity here to explore a relationship that, especially for the early to mid-90s, would have been so ahead of its time in a major studio release. Yeah. And it felt a little bit like, and I'm not sure I wasn't involved in any of the conversations about what we had the leeway to keep in the movie versus what we didn't, but it did sound like, or look like they stepped back from it a little bit. It was there, but we didn't go as deep with it as we do some of the other relationships in the movie. Right. And I do like that essentially there, even without all the like full fulfillment of it, there was the moment in which, uh, Kristen, I keep wanting to call her Christy because her name is so similar. Um, but Kristen 
essentially proposes the idea of them getting together. Uh, and Taryn is like, hey, uh, I, I, I get it. Uh, but don't do this just because you find me interesting. Right. And I, I liked that in that from that point, it it justifies her moving forward with uh, the other guy, Wayne, um, but still kind of having those feelings. So there was that moment when her and Wayne are, are doing it. And you can inter- inter- interpret that as because uh, it was intercut with uh, her uh, with Taryn, Jennifer Connelly's character. Uh, and you could imagine you could interpret it in a, in a way that like, even though she has decided to be with Wayne, she still is fantasizing about Jennifer Connelly's character. Yes. I, I feel like most of what you get of the Taryn character, you're getting through the POV of Kristen, which makes sense because Kristen is one of the characters you're primarily tracking. I would say the three characters you're primarily tracking are Kristen, Malik and Remy. Right. And almost every other character you meet, you're getting through, distilled through their point of view. What I do like though about what we get of the Terran character, it's like what you're what you were alluding to about uh when they when they decide maybe that they want to explore this possibility, I really like the Terran's response is don't do this just because you're curious. Mm-hmm. And I like that in that line we get so much information about who Terran is as a person. And we get so so much in such a small span of time because again we don't we don't really delve too 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 deeply into her character, but I feel like that line says so much. Right, it says this is going to be a weird piece of connective tissue, but it's a conversation that you and I actually had. We do the Supergirl after show over at AfterBuzz, mm-hmm. and this past season with the Alex and Maggie relationship, I feel like we hit some of those same ideas, although that show, the show Supergirl now in in 2017, is given a lot more freedom to explore some of these concepts than Higher Learning was in 95. Right. But this idea that this, if if you find yourself attracted to a member of the same sex and you're, you're coming to this realization now... Yes, it's important that you explore that and you you find yourself in this new, not even a completely new identity, but a new a new aspect of your identity. And I'm here for you. I'm here to be supportive. But I've gone through that experience, and I don't necessarily only want to be here as a, a guinea pig for you, right. an emotional or physical guinea pig. And I feel like, yeah, of the Supergirl, we get a whole plot line throughout the season about it. In Higher Learning, we get one line. Yeah. But I think that line is so, so, so effective, especially in a movie where we don't spend that much time tracking this relationship. I thought that line was an excellent way of conveying so much information when we don't actually get to spend that time with them. Right. Yeah. It just shows how mature she is and how, uh, I guess, grounded in her own character, grounded in her own character and her own, uh, identity she is. And like, they still remain friends. They still hang out together. So it wasn't as if that was the end of their interactions. Like essentially they're not going to be together. So they're never going to talk again. Um, so there's a a certain maturity in the writing, which I like. Yeah, absolutely. And I think a lot of, a lot of these issues, I think actually, frankly, every single one of the issues touched on are are touched on in an incredibly mature and very nuanced way, even if we occasionally have to 
you shorthand for certain things in certain right. situations. And even though, again, some of the aesthetics are like, oh, this is incredibly 90s. Like in my notes, there are a couple of things I wrote down just because aesthetically I found them funny. Just yeah. movie, like very clearly like movie stuff. And one of them is like the first time they don't meet. But when the Malik and Kristen characters cross paths for the first time, mm-hmm. very early in the movie, they get on an elevator together. And Kristen has that moment where she's on the elevator by herself and then a black man gets on the elevator with her and she holds her purse just a little bit tighter. And right right off the bat, we didn't exchange any dialogue at all. Just visually, you convey this incredibly powerful idea. And I think you set up an understanding of what if you walked into this movie not really knowing what it was about, I think that moment really does set you up to to follow that idea really introduces very early the type of concept that we're going to be playing with. Yeah. Great moment. But then they both stand there in the elevator as the doors close and it looks very much like two actors posing. <laughs> and I thought that was pretty amusing. Yeah. And then there was another moment that wasn't, I mean, in, like posing in that, like it looked like uh, uh, Omar Epps was doing like a shoot for a magazine, <laughs> the way he was holding himself in the corner of the elevator. Right. Um, and, and, Christie Swanson uh, as well. But okay, so there's a moment, again, pretty early on, and it's like we have to set up who these characters are and we have to get a certain amount of exposition out of the way. And there's a moment, he's at the track, and I guess he's talking to the track coach. Mm-hmm. And there's this line where it's just pure exposition and it's oh. funky exposition where the coach goes, you think because you're a superstar rookie freshman, you don't have to work? Oh, and I yes. put that down in my notes and under that I put, ha ha. <laughs> because it's so it's such a heavy 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 handed exposition line. oh yeah we actually we don't get too many of those in this movie but that was such a, a clunky heavy exposition line that I had to make a note of it and bring it up yeah I that was one of the, that also stuck out to me because we didn't need it necessarily especially because later on we get the exchange between him and Lawrence Fishburne all of it. we get all of that information in a far more uh, believable organic way right so it's like why did we need this line I think they just I I feel like they just wanted a chance for Omar Epps to be like look how cool I am like it was one of those like character establishing moments as opposed to like a real in-depth dive into like what he should be and where he's going well and again it's like i wasn't privy to any of these conversations that led to these specific decisions being made but it almost feels like singleton got a bad studio note Uh like it feels like somebody wearing a suit who had never been on the set was like looked at the footage and was like yeah but if we don't let people know exactly who he is and what his circumstances are in the first 10 minutes everyone's gonna get confused and angry and walk out of the theater (laughs) and singleton's like i'm just trying to get my movie made fine throw it in um it was moments like that like uh just speaking about Omar Epps's performance and his introduction, like it felt like a movie that was written for someone like it. I felt like I would have seen someone like a, a Will Smith in that role, as opposed to like an Omar Epps, who I guess I now feel like is a super dramatic actor. Um, but like the, the smugness of it felt like a Will Smith kind of character. Like early Will Smith. Yeah. Like, yeah. like, even Independence Day era Will Smith. Mm-hmm. Um, which I I had read that originally the, the role was written for Tupac Shakur, um, which would yes. have been a really different movie. I read, I was reading a piece and I'm trying to remember which, I read a couple of different 
write-ups of uh, of this movie after I watched it, and I'm trying to remember which one I read this in. But yeah, apparently Tupac was arrested on yeah. some type of sexual assault allegation. Oh, and I read that part. I think, now don't quote me on this, uh, I, but I believe that is what I read. And that's when they tapped Omar Epps, who, if I'm not mistaken, had previously worked with Tupac on Juice. Um, I think Juice, no. What? No. May, yes? I don't know. Juice. Let me look this up. If it's wrong, we'll cut it. Yeah. Bishop, Tupac, Q is Omar Epps, Steele is Jermaine Hopkins, and Raheem is Kalakan. What year was that? Juice was 92. So that was three years prior. Okay. Got the it. The same year that Christy Swanson starred as the titular character in the Buffy the Vampire Slayer movie, ah. which has no relevance to the rest of this discussion. But at some point, I wanted to drop a Buffy reference in, and there it is. <laughs> oh, great. Uh, I'm gonna cut that. Uh, See what I got? I got I got my got my juice facts. Hell down. yeah! I got my. I've actually not. I've not seen juice. Uh, nor have I. Oh well, if uh, you think we should see juice, tweet at Missing Outcast. <laughs> tweet your your juice. Tweet your juice. Tweet Just your juice. Tweet love. us pictures of juice. We'll get it. Don't <laughs> worry about it. Um. Okay. So yes. So then at that point they they tapped Omar Epps. We're back. Yes. We figured it all out. Uh, uh, speaking of uh, comments and Twitters and stuff, we usually do this at the head of the show, so I just wanted to do it real quick. Um, if you're listening to this on iTunes or Google Play, make sure that you uh, hit them stars, leave a comment below. It really helps us get to the top of the charts, helps other people find us on both uh, iTunes and Google Play Store. It helps more people engage with us as a show and us as people. Uh, and only helps us get more uh, topics to talk about. More, uh, we're going to be starting to get guests in, and it'll it'll really help us to get get the booking. That that that's how all they say it in uh, the industry. Dem bookings. Get the bookings. Dem bookings. So uh, it'll really help us out, and we really appreciate it. Uh, uh, if you were listening to last week's episode, we read five-star reviews on the air. So if you want a shout-out on this sweet, sweet show, bro, just leave us one of them comments, yo. Uh, so, speaking of slang, um, speaking we were talking about Omar Epps. That's a heck of a segue. <laughs> yeah. Because um, I really, I I felt like uh, Omar Epps's storyline was, it was equal and opposite to Remy's, which was essentially its purpose in that, like he, in the same way that Remy was kind of not militarized, but radicalized on the, uh, alt-right side. Uh, Oh, I I didn't even mean to do that, but, um, you're not wrong. Yes. On the neo-Nazi side. Um, we just lost like 15 (laughs) listeners. Um, I mean, if you're alt-right and you're listening to this, Uh, I would actually like to sit down and have a conversation with you because you are a very complex character. Yeah, clearly. Please let me know. Like if you are, if you're all, what are you doing here? How, how have you put up with us for this long? Maybe they don't know that I'm black. Uh, Wait. I mean. Wait. Yeah. What? Well, now we've lost them. Oh, jeez. All right. I'm out. (laughs) Oh, no. No, you're still chained. Production value. Still Uh. chained. (laughs) You'll never get out. Finish this podcast. Um, But look, yeah, you're not. But, but so... Talking about real quick, I, I don't mean to hijack your train of thought, but talking okay. about Remy's arc, uh, I felt, yeah, this was one of those situations where I felt like we were using a little bit of a shorthand to get him to the place that he ultimately gets. Okay. But 
I, again, I was really struck by how, if you do some reading now on how uh, yeah, Nazis. I was going to use the word, the term alt right again, but listen, Nazis. Right. Um, how Nazis and white supremacists go about recruiting impressionable people, almost always impressionable young men. Yeah. The way they go about doing it online. And it's it's a very gradual process. Nobody leads with, let's kill the not whites. Because even if you're trying to figure out who you are and how you relate to the world and how you relate to people that don't look like you, when somebody leads with that, you go, well, probably not. Yeah. Uh, but if they become your friend and you develop a relationship with them separate and apart from whatever their politics are, whatever their agenda is, whatever their intentions happen to be, yeah. you develop a relationship with them, you develop a little bit of a trust, and then they start gradually introducing some of these ideas. Mm-hmm. It's a very gradual process, and you tend not to notice if they're if they're doing it. Well, I've, that's it. Feels like gross to refer to it that way, but yeah, if they're doing I mean, it effectively, but, is, yes, let's yeah. use yes, let's use the term effectively. I think that's a, a far, far less gross way of, of <laughs> looking at it. Yes, if they're doing it effectively, yes, you you, you almost don't notice until you're in it, right. essentially, until you're under the sway of it, and it starts to make because it's coming from people that you now trust. It starts to make so much sense, and then it becomes a lot easier to really aggressively instill someone with this us versus them mentality and it's like then it's like you you rally around them and then you're rallying around each other and then suddenly it's like you got yourself a brand new nazi yeah we saw again we we don't see because it's a two-hour movie and you're balancing an ensemble cast and a whole bunch of complex ideas it happens a little bit quicker than it might happen in reality yeah but also i suppose i suppose maybe not but we do see he meets the Cole Hauser character. Yes, Scott. Yeah, and the Cole Hauser character, Scott, uh, effectively does recruit him. He's a, uh, Remy is alone. He feels lost. He feels angry. Yes. And he feels he feels like, like many white men who are successfully recruited to these movements do. He feels like he is the victim. And Scott, I think, sees it immediately, sees he's sitting alone by himself and reaches out becomes it's like reaches out as a friend he's yeah. like i'm here i see you i you're not alone i i totally understand your anger and your your frustration at a lack of uh feeling like you have a place yeah and praise on it and suddenly it's like here's here is a, a and he use the word brotherhood here is a brotherhood of men who feel just like you feel and you're not alone. You can be one of us. Yeah. And you see how even though you're sitting there as an audience member going, bro, run, run. Have you not have you not read a textbook before? You know that we fought a global war based on how bad these guys are, right? But you in a in a very weird you almost understand, not agree with, certainly, yes. but you almost understand how a young man in this state, in this position, could be led down this path. Yes, there was a lot of movie shorthand, but I will say that there was one line or one scene that made me understand exactly why it happened so quickly. And it was when uh, Remy was at the frat party and he's talking to just some dude in a corner and he's like, what do you think I have to do to get into this fraternity? You know, like probably some weird stuff, right? I do it. I do anything to, to get into this fraternity, which showed how desperate he was for just some kind of bonding or right. some kind of companionship. I just want to be accepted and included in something. Yeah. And not, not unfortunately, not being uh, selective enough on what thing that ends up being. Right. Well, because every 
unfortunately for him, every venue he kind of turned down ended up uh, turning out badly for him. And he's also he also seems to be highly antisocial. Like his his roommate tried to have him play games with him, and he's just like staring. And he went to this party and ended up getting uh, ended up getting shoved out because he didn't really know. The he couldn't read the room and he couldn't properly interact with this guy. Right. And so essentially him being automatically accepted by the these people, even though they're on the outskirts of society, really like fulfilled something inside of him. It it can be powerful. This can be it's always incredibly powerful, I I believe, this feeling of suddenly being accepted by somebody, whoever it happens to be, in a world where you felt a complete absence of that feeling. Yeah. You, there is a tendency to overlook some of the less savory aspects of the source of this acceptance when you are so desperate for it. Yeah. And again, I think that not in total, but I think goes a long way toward explaining elements of what we see in the real world, even now about how you, again, you think to yourself, how is it possible that anyone is still making new Nazis? Yeah. That, you'd think it would be such a preposterous thing to try and sell somebody on, but it's still happening. Yeah. And I think in large part, it, it's exactly what we're talking about. It's this desperation for acceptance, not understanding how to vent all of this anger. You you feel like the world is is heaping upon you. It's it, Especially to find people that are not only accepting you, but are constantly reinforcing the notion that, no, you're, you're right. Yeah. All of this anger you're feeling, it actually is everybody else, whether it's literally everybody or whether they as they tend to do over time start specifying that they mean uh black people they mean jewish people they mean gay people you uh, it's so like i'm sitting here talking about it and i'm i'm actually actively depressing myself because it's like how do you and they they're especially now in the age of the internet yeah they don't have to do it publicly. You don't actually have to, like Scott does, you don't have to approach somebody sitting alone on a college campus yeah. and do it face-to-face. You can do it very gradually, very immediately uh, online. Yeah. And you can bring people into the fold very... And, like, again, it's like, you. I don't know how to... When it's so hard to even see it happening, how do you effectively combat it? That is a question for smarter people then, than right, I. Then, right, I don't have an answer. And I'm sitting here thinking about what we saw in this movie and how immediately relevant it is 20 years and change later. Right. And I'm sitting here, and, I'm, I, and I think this is what a lot of people right now are experiencing. This feeling, you hit a wall almost, because it's like, I see what the problem is. Yeah. And I feel at an absolute loss as to how to effectively combat that issue. And then you just sit there, and it's real hard not to put your head in your hands after a certain point. Yeah. I mean, part of the part of the root of the issue is that a lot of people feel like for one group of people to ascend, another group has to descend. It's the it's the survival of the fittest, like uh, weird uh, competitive nature of the history of our society, as opposed to like where people who are progressive and people who are trying to move forward. Uh, are trying to get away from in that like we're trying to create a society in which everyone uh, no matter what your your background your religion your beliefs etc can live harmoniously as long as it is 
something that can ex- that can coexist with others. If your beliefs are that you have to murder a bunch of people to to stay wherever you are or to progress, then that is detrimental overall and has it doesn't have a, a place in a progressive society. Absolutely, and I think. I mean, tribalism is hard coded into our DNA as a species, and you see it. You see it pop up everywhere. Whether it's you know, it's everything from from racial divides to being mad that somebody likes the sports team that is like the arch rival of your sports team. Yeah, it's to a certain extent hard coded into us, going back eons as a survival mechanism. Yeah, we don't necessarily need that at this point. And in fact, I think you get to a certain again. Maybe these are issues for much smarter people than me to address. But I think you get to a point. And I think we're at that point where there are just so many dang people that if we hold tight to these tribalistic notions of us versus them, eventually it's all going to crumble because right. all of the opposing sides will be so aggressive and also so massive that what will ultimately happen, it's, it's essentially a, a, a version of mutually assured destruction. Yeah. Yeah. And then it's like, man, I really hope somebody smarter than me steps in at some point and is like, hey, guys, we can do better. But we can we can do better. And, yes. we, and we don't. And that, I think, is the most jarring thing about okay. higher learning. <laughs> yes. Though, so, I don't think that we're, that it's not that we don't. We have made a lot of strides since 1995. Um, and it, it's not as visible. And, and the the list of issues uh, is very wide and and. and spanning and, 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 and there are varying levels of difficulty in terms of tackling them. And I think that over in the last 20 something years, we've, we've managed to, uh, we've managed to make great progress in terms of like LGBT representation, um, equal, uh, equalizing rights in terms of at least attempts to equalize rights in terms of different um, races and creeds and, and beliefs and, and, and religious freedom and things of that sort. Like, we can actively say that when someone says um, all Muslims are bad, we're like, no, that person's wrong. Whereas, like, 20 years ago, it could have been as easy as someone going, nah, I mean, maybe you're right. But like, that's a weird one to me, too, because, <laughs> like, specifically that one is so odd to me because you could do, like, really... You make a really tiny logical steps, not even a leap or a jump. It's yeah. a little tiny logical step to there. How how many Muslims? Are about a billion Muslims yes. on the planet. If they were all dangerous, you and I, for example, wouldn't be recording this podcast, and you listening uh, wouldn't be listening to it because we'd all be dead. <laughs> if every single Muslim on this planet right. meant to do us harm, we'd all be dead. Because we're not all dead, I think one could reasonably infer, before we even get into, like, exercise your empathy, bro, like, view people as people, right. before we even get into that conversation, pure cold logic would seem to dictate that that cannot possibly be the case. Also, and this this is, if anything, is going to lose uh, the listeners. Here we go. Here we uh, go. Let's be, let's yep. be uncompromising. Oh, my gosh. Uh why don't we take a take a little stroll through the history of the Christian faith um, yep. and the things that they did in order to, uh, you know, expand their beliefs. Um, it's, you know, it's a history of massacres. Like I, uh, not to brag, but I was just in Rome uh, and I was learning about Rome's monstrous history. And 
about how when the Christians came in, they essentially considered anything that was native Roman or anything that was imported into Rome as pagan. And so they just destroyed it because it wasn't Christian. Yep. And essentially if they, if they thought it was too beautiful to destroy, they would slap something uh, Christian on it and essentially reclaim it for themselves. Um, so, I mean, if we're going to, you know, talk – like if we're going to really give the side eye to a religion, I mean, or at least religious histories, we should probably not overlook the history of one of the ones that we're quote-unquote fighting for. You know? Like Absolutely. It's, it's an issue. Uh, without – question and then of course we could have an entirely separate discussion about all and not like you say not one religion religion in general being the source of most of the horrific violence that we've seen in the history of the world or the recorded history of the world certainly right but here's how it's relevant it goes directly back to this idea of tribalism mm -hmm. and we see it ready going all the way back to what we're here to talk about we see it in so many different ways in higher learning we see it explicitly in the scene where i believe it's, it's fudge it's fudge yeah is explaining the the social structure and you see all of these different groups and it's based on it's they're all divided by race mm -hmm. and it's 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 tribalism i mean it's right and that yeah, everyone is essentially trying to keep to what they already know because they feel that that is the most safe, which essentially only serves to isolate them more from the other uh, from the other social groups. You know, so like the more you, the more xenophobic or the more uh, like closed off you are from other cultures, the more one they fear you, the more you fear them. Um, but like it, it's essentially how. Um, societies collide in that the less you know about a group or a person, the more likely you are to either build your own uh, beliefs about them based on minute interactions, or the the more likely you are to try to destroy them because you believe that they are going to do the same. Right, because immediately you see them as less than human. Right. And you have to make an effort. And I get that if you are so disconnected from whether it's a specific group or you're so disconnected in the case of somebody like the Remy character I don't think he starts feeling specifically disconnected from any group but he feels disconnected from all groups essentially right. and then of course it gets easier to get swept into I mean like we, we were talking about to get swept into a group that is inherently viciously evil because it's still a group that will take you um, yeah well because there's that line that Professor Phipps, uh, played by Lawrence Fishburne, um, he specifically calls out this idea that the more you believe that something is owed to you, um, the more likely you are to become complacent and lazy and essentially you won't work for anything, which is essentially a big part of uh, the nationalist or the, the like um, white supremacist ideal is that essentially all things on this earth belong to uh, the master race, which is uh, the Aryan race. And so essentially anyone who tries to take that away from them because they are entitled to it, uh, they feel threatened by that and they feel like they have to take it back. And you see too, especially very recently, you see in a good amount of discourse and you, you almost wonder how many of these... 
they're white people, they're usually dudes. How many of these people are actively aware of the underlying hatefulness and what they're saying? But you see a lot of versions because we've been talking about a lot about uh, uh, Colin Kaepernick for very obvious reasons. And you see people like you see people on Twitter and it gets, I don't follow these people, but it gets retweeted into my feed by people that are pointing out how abjectly horrible it is. Mm -hmm. But this implication that because he is black and successful in this country, that he was given something, Mm -hmm. this implication that he could not possibly have worked for what he has. He could not possibly have earned it. He must have been permitted to achieve it. Right. Yeah. It, it's essentially that like, it's a meritocracy until you're a minority. Well, and the idea too, this gets into a, a, a different, but I, I would argue related conversation about this mentality. And you hear it from a lot of, it's not, I don't want to get like overly political, but you hear it from a lot of libertarians, but you also hear it, I think from the right as well this idea this myth that in this country you could be anybody and you could come from any circumstance at all and if you just work hard and you pull yourself up by your bootstraps you can be anything that you want to be and unfortunately that has never been true right that has not been true even for 30 seconds in the entire history of this country (laughs) that's true and that is actually one of the things i had made note in my notes uh that there is a there's somewhat a bit of that belief in this movie that i was like that is kind of what dates it to me is I feel like in the last decade or so people have started to acknowledge that there is a a systematic uh, flaw with the way that our country has been created over the last few years, um, which I, I don't know if it was purposeful or accidental, but like as Remy and Malik were fighting, they were fighting underneath pictures of Washington and Jefferson to founding fathers who were both great men and also problematic. Um, problematic is a really uh, diplomatic way of phrasing it. Yeah. I figured we've, we gotten real. We've definitely <laughs> deeply incensed probably at least, at least 10 people. Yeah. Um, so um, I get for 1995, the idea that like, yes, you definitely, you sh- you shouldn't feel like, your race or, or all these other things are able to hold you back as long as you have the uh, working spirit and the knowledge and the thirst for knowledge that will lead you to a better place. Yeah, and you're talking about the scene, you're still talking about the scene with Fishburne, right? Where right. He's got, and he's got, that was a wonderful scene too because he's got that bit of business where he pops the bag and he wakes up the sleeping student in his class. Yeah. And that whole, he's giving this, this monologue about the ideas that you're talking about and he's doing this bit of business with the bag and the whole scene you're like what is he is this part of his metaphor and it it is in a way but it's just he's blowing up this he takes his lunch out puts it on his desk and i like that there's the the insert of the sandwich yeah there's that this was another thing though that felt very 90s movie to me when he takes his lunch out of the bag and he puts it on his little podium it cuts to a couple students Uh i guess they're just extras and it's like hey you guys want to be featured today and they're like sure 
uh, it cuts to the two of them, and there's one student leans into the other and doesn't say anything. But the look on his face is just like, what is this guy doing? <laughs> um, but yeah, but so he's giving that speech, and I think it's a wonderfully executed scene and a, a really excellent bit of performance by Lawrence Fishburne. But the content of the speech, I think I had a couple of the same, not issues necessarily, but I got hung up on a couple of the same things that it sounds like maybe you did. Yeah. Where it's like I absolutely get the spirit behind the point that he's making. And I absolutely agree with it, but I also think it's more complex even than that. Right. Yeah. I mean, institutionalized racism wasn't a a big word people were using until recently. And it's not something that I feel had been acknowledged by that point. And it's something that like, you know, we could effectively do a whole show on, by itself but that's not this show this show is the the butts poop uh pee show there is not uh, we've not hit our butts poop pee quotient this episode i think but to be fair it's really tough to work some of that into a conversation <laughs> like the one that we're having and not come off even more offensively than i'm sure we already have to a couple of people right i mean uh there was a moment where i did want to make a joke that I feel like Remy wouldn't have joined the neo-Nazis if someone would have just let him finish a book. Like, every time he went to go read a book, someone would interrupt him. So, like, he's reading in his dorm room, and Ice Cube comes in, and he's like, fine, I'll leave. And then he's reading a book on the stairs, and then Scott comes, and he's like, fine, I'll join you. And I'm trying to remember, doesn't he keep trying to read, isn't it the Iliad he keeps trying to read? He reads, it's different books. Like, uh, first time it was his uh, physics book, second time was the Iliad, Third time uh, when he's interrupted by Malik is he was reading about Adolf Hitler. And it's just no one will let him finish a book. And so finally he just snapped, you know, because just just, he wants to know what the end is. And unfortunately, now he'll never know because he's dead. Yeah. Um, uh, by the way, uh, I want to shout out Michael Rappaport's performance as Remy because Michael Rappaport's been in a ton of different things. And yeah. I, I, I normally see him playing a character that is very unlike Remy. Even if the character he's playing is tied up in some shifty stuff, he's usually, in in the work that I've seen, a much lighter presence. He's yeah. like the fun, slightly over-the-top, silly person even though he doesn't play it like a clown yeah you know he doesn't do like a broad comedic performance but he's definitely more of a, a lighter character and i i don't think i've ever seen him play something this dark right and i think he did really well in this part there's this, this scene where and it's like it, you see him come to his break point i think where he completely trashes the dorm room mm-hmm. and all right go with me on this one yeah reminded me a ton of Kylo Ren in a number of different ways. I actually think, and much in the way this, it may sound ridiculous, but actually in a way the star Wars movies have always been about the struggle against fascism. Yeah. Remy is essentially the Kylo Ren of higher learning. <laughs> he is, he think of, if you think about it, he, he really is He's a very similar type of character. Yeah. And I think we can infer from, uh, this is really, this is really the route I'm going to go. Yeah. Do it. So I think what you see with the Kylo Ren character in Force Awakens is actually very similar. It's maybe not a perfect one-to-one to Remy's struggle, but I actually think you see a lot of direct parallels. You see that, okay, so Kylo Ren was training to be a Jedi, probably started to disagree with what he was being fed 
and started to feel, I'm sure, alienated, started to feel angry. And then giant Andy Circus hologram Supreme Leader Snoke was able to swoop in and my guess would be manipulate him much in the way that white supremacists manipulate their marks mm-hmm. and convert them. And you get somebody who is now fully converted and still carries around that anger, that violence, that sense of uh, put upon victimization, but is now aiming it all outward, holds on to a lot of it. It's still destroying them from the inside out, but now it's put on blast and it has to uh, express itself somehow. And it often does so in incredibly destructive ways. So when he, when Remy destroys that room, I, was reminded very much of the scene where Kylo Ren trashes the panel with his lightsaber. Yeah. And then I started thinking about how, yeah, those movies really have always been about the struggle against fascism. And then I thought about characters like the neo-Nazis that Remy becomes involved in. And a lot of these neo-Nazi alt-right types that you see online that claim to be fans of material like Star Wars, while at the same time seemingly having completely missed the point of what those stories are about. Right. It's I mean, relevant. No, it is. <laughs> um, I mean, because, yes, you're essentially... What uh, higher learning does overtly, Star Wars does as an allegory. Yes. Essentially. And so, yeah, you can... I definitely see that parallel, um, which makes me also want a scene where uh, where Kylo Ren, uh, as right before he dies, is like... I, I just wanted to lift spacecrafts with the force. That's, it's all I wanted to I do. I really just wanted to read the Iliad, you guys. <laughs> it's, it's the space Iliad. Because um, that is uh, that moment when, uh, speaking of Michael Rappaport's acting, that moment when he is confronted with the cops and he knows it's over and he's cornered. Um, and he is just lamenting what he's done and how far it's how far it's come and he's just like i just i just wanted to build buildings i just wanted to make he wanted to be an engineer engineer. like that's all he wanted and he also just wanted to fit in and then found himself uh you know with the wrong crowd with the wrong outlet for what he's feeling and that that too makes it so Tragic, yeah. Because I don't think even the people that end up joining these these vicious hate groups, I I can't imagine that anybody early in life. I mean, okay, there are, I'm sure there are exceptions. There are plenty of young people that are indoctrinated by viciously racist families almost right. immediately. But in many cases, I would venture to guess a lot of these people did not set out to be that. They like Remy. Remy had a dream. He wanted to be an architect. He wanted to create. I mean, and that's that's what architects do. They create. There's so much artistry yeah. to architecture. And all of that potential, everything that he may have been is gone. Is just eradicated completely. Once he made the decision, it's it's gone. Yeah. And that to me makes it doubly tragic because it not only is he this which is awful enough because of what that ideology represents. But at the same time, everything else he may have been is gone now. Yeah. It's it's real sad. And it's crazy because he, there's, there's also the realization that he didn't need to go that far. There are these moments with Scott who is uh, inarguably a a bad guy. Like he's, he's, um, he's, he's charming, but he's also um, very much this, the, catalyst for all this this hateful uh these hateful actions 
but at the same time he can be reasoned with and he was essentially trying to keep Remy in school. He was he was mentoring Remy in in the ways of the dark side. That I did by the way find really interesting. That yeah. that and again like I I applaud I applaud the team that put this movie together because every character even the neo-Nazi who's recruiting other neo-Nazis is a little bit more complex than that. Mm-hmm. He's he's the one who when Remy's dropping out is like no you need to stay in school. Now, of course, the reason he's telling Remy to stay in school is because we need more white supremacist doctors, engineers, lawyers who can help radicalize other people to our cause. I get it. Yes. But still, putting an emphasis on educating yourself, bettering, it still falls apart because I mean, he but just it's, wants no. more help recruiting Nazis. But Yes, but not just because... Uh, not just for the sake of recruiting Nazis, but also because if you're going to be the master race, like you have to be like the quote unquote best. And so it was also it's also for Remy's sake as well that like he he doesn't end up being uneducated so that he can be, you know, uh, better than all the, his competition um, in the same way that uh, I'm still drawing this line in the same way that um, Malik uh, believes that all this is owed to him and then he has to learn that in order to be you know just a black man in society you have to work harder and you mm-hmm. have to be better than everyone else in order to excel there's a moment because I feel like we haven't talked too much or enough about Malik's story because there are so many concepts and and moments one in particular that I found incredibly powerful real quick though the last thing because you you mentioned the scene uh at the end of remy's story where he takes his own life in that standoff with the police the the main officer character that we see a whole bunch who's in that that scene yeah uh, the character i think is officer bradley played by an actor named bradford english who doesn't have a massive list of credits but among those credits is another halloween movie it's oh, yeah. the sixth one the curse of michael myers also i think the movie i believe paul rudd's first movie Interesting. Uh, yes, and uh, Bradford English's character does not fare well in that motion picture either. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. sad. So, talking about Malik, and I guess the the big, for me, the real, the the devastating holy shit moment for me in his arc, and it's it's at the climax of the movie, but it is set up so effectively earlier uh, when he's talking to Malik is talking to. The Lawrence Fishburne character, Professor Phipps, I believe. Yeah. And he is asking, uh, Phipps is asking Malik, you know, what do you do? And you have to, it's that idea, you have to work harder. You always have to be pushing yourself further and further and further because, because society does not owe you anything. Yeah. He's talking about, you know, what happens if you're out on that field and so you're running and you're pushing yourself as hard as you can and the guy next to you is faster. And Malik's answer is essentially, well, I got to run faster. Mm-hmm. And you get to the scene at the end of the movie where, and maybe it would have not made any difference, but this moment where uh, the Tyra Banks character has been shot and Professor Phipps runs up and is holding her and yells at Malik to go, like, get, we have to get her to a hospital, get help, dude. You, ha- you have to run. Yeah. That moment where it's like, now is the time where you have to you have to do what you said you have to run faster and harder than you have ever run and he's frozen 
Yeah. He is completely paralyzed. He is so... And you, you get it. It's not like, bro, what are you doing? You completely understand. And it is so devastating. Yeah. Because it's like, it's like you know, you can, you can believe so deeply that when the moment comes, you know exactly what you're going to do. You know how you're going to handle it. You know you can handle it. And then the moment comes and you realize it's not it's not that simple it's not that easy you're never going to be prepared for every massive hurdle life puts in front of you that you have to jump that moment where i think he really he learned learned something in that moment you know what oh, i mean it's like yeah. it's like it's not it's not that easy yeah it's never that easy and the hard part about that moment also is that essentially it was a crossroads for him in that he could have ran to help the woman that he loved or he could have ran to get revenge and he ultimately chose revenge um which there's that moment when he's talking to lawrence fishburne at the end where he's like if only i had and like he doesn't finish any of his sentences but you know that he means like if only he had actually run to go get help then she may have still been alive yes but and so like he has that weight on his shoulders and like so it's not even just that he was frozen in that moment, but also that he didn't complete. He hadn't completely learned uh, his lesson until it was too late. Yes, and and that's true. It's he made he made a decision, but really the decision that he made first was no decision. Right. And then the decision he made to seek revenge, it was less of a decision. He could have done nothing, I suppose, but that was less of a decision than this is now the only option left right. if it, unless i'm going to choose do nothing and as we've seen no no character in this movie passively chooses to do nothing yeah i will say too um i want to talk a little bit more than we have we only touched on uh kristen's story in so far as her relationship with the jennifer connelly character is depicted but i also really loved i mean okay so there's early on there's a date rape sequence in this movie also J.R. Ferguson, who plays Billy, this rapist character, in his first credited film appearance, took uh-huh. me a while to figure out that it was... At first, I was like, is that is that J.R. Ferguson? But I was like, no, it looks a little bit like him, but I don't think so, because his face is is so much younger. He's obviously right. 22 years ago that this movie was shot. Yeah. Um, took me a minute to place him, but yeah, J.R. Ferguson has gone on to a, a number of high-profile uh, projects, including Mad Men, where he played Stan Rizzo. He was one of the FBI agents this past season of Twin Peaks. So, shout out to J.R. Ferguson as Billy the Rapist. Hey. But I liked... So, obviously, it's like if you pay attention to any of the discourse surrounding media, you see a lot of talk, very justifiably, about how many stories will insert rape as a plot point very cheaply, very lazily, for shock value or to to jack up your empathy for a character without really doing the work. Right. A, did not feel that was the case here. B, really, really appreciated the depiction of somebody who went through a horrible experience and then learns how to move past it. Mm -hmm. Because I feel like many rape stories that you see in movies are about half the time it's it just motivates a dude to take action right but a lot of them are about how how devastating it is and how i guess what i'm trying to say is you don't see a lot of stories that really do focus on the moving on with your life aspect of it yeah you see a lot of movies that wallow in how absolutely horrible it is yeah i really appreciated that 
we actually got to see this character move past it, not let it define who she is in a way that I feel like a lot of movies don't don't address, don't explore. And I appreciated right. that aspect of it. Essentially, I f- yeah, I feel the same way as you in that I feel like a lot of movies make it this wall that's created that like a, a character is constantly bumping into and it essentially becomes everything that they are. Um, whereas... And a lot of stories, I don't mean to cut you off, no, a no. lot of stories will really treat the victim, whether whether they're intending to or not, even if it's completely inadvertent, I feel like a lot of stories tend to treat the victim now as damaged goods. Right. Which is just such a horrible, horrible, horrible idea to be perpetuating. Yeah. So again, very, very appreciative that that's not what this story did. Yeah. Um, and I'd also like to take this moment to talk about consent. So consent is very important. Um, she was very much past the point of consent when she was getting drunk. Um, she was very much at, uh, so the whole sexual interaction was, uh, non-consensual based on the rules of consent. Also, um, beyond the fact that he wouldn't get a rubber non-consent, uh, the fact that she was saying no non-consent, there's no consent in this thing. Consent is important, guys. I'm a very big advocate for consent. Uh, I, I like two consenting adults being able to agree upon um, sexual relations and doing doing whatever they want as long as it's in with, within the confines of consent. So, bro, just make sure that your, your partner is down to clown and also make sure that, like, they're not too drunk to give uh, official consent. Bro. Uh, everything's better that way again and and it's unavoidable that we talk about things that are a lot heavier than uh, than the content of our usual conversations on this show but yeah and and assault doesn't only look like one thing right yeah yeah that's that's i guess my my ultimate thought in response to what you just said and i think people need to be very conscious and and it's such a it just so blows my mind that we're still having some of these exact same conversations. It's so, so upsetting that people still need to be told this shit. Yeah. But they do. And it starts with accepting that, that yeah, you know, I'm not going to get into like descriptions of any of these actions because yes. nobody tunes into the show for that, <laughs> but it doesn't only look like one thing. Yes. I mean, it is as the last you or as the last image of the movie says like it's a lot of unlearning you know there are a lot of ideas and rampant concepts that we uh we share back and forth either through media or through conversation that give people the wrong idea of what consent is and and like what assault looks like and it's a matter of like retuning your brain to know exactly what real consensual relations are and what uh, what in the many different forms of assault looks like. Yes. Um, so that's a thing. Also, don't be uh, Kristen's friends. Don't be like, should we have let uh, a drunk girl go off with this guy that we don't know? Yeah, the answer no. Is no. Yes. The answer is Never. very clearly no. Right. Why Why would it occur to you that the answer would not be no? Yeah. Those They're not your friends. If your friends are like, bro, I'm going to let you go off... Uh, I know you're drunk, but you you bust to get uh, done. You, you bust to get done. Did they ain't your friends? They don't care about you. Done. That's that's. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> done. Did. Yep. Uh. Wow. But but so I think 
you know, you talk about that last, the note that the movie ends on where we go back to the American flag and it says unlearned. And you talk about how, you know, we need to almost recondition ourselves and the way we have these conversations. And it goes back to everything that we've been talking about uh, in relation to the story about these different groups, these different tribes, and nobody is communicating. And that's the only way we are ever going to make it past some of these conversations and improve ourselves as uh, individuals and a society. And it starts with opening yourself up. It's being open to the fact that maybe I don't have a perfect understanding of every aspect of this. Maybe that there are, maybe there are people who have lived these experiences that may in fact know better than I do. Right. And the only way you learn is occasionally by shutting your mouth and listening. That's the first step. Second step is then once you've listened, you can ask questions if you are asking them in good faith. Unfortunately, you see so many people in these conversations online that are very clearly, even after somebody has made their point of view very clear in a very nuanced way, you get people that are responding with questions that are very clearly not being asked in good faith. And it makes right. the conversation so much more difficult to have. But it's you have to make the effort. That's the only way that we are going to build bridges between these different tribes and you would have hoped or i would have hoped that in an age where we all not all but many of us in this country carry supercomputers around in our pockets and we have unprecedented access to almost all of the information that is available to people you would have hoped i would have hoped that it would have made it a little bit easier to start having these conversations and bridging these gaps but unfortunately what seems to be happening more so more broadly is that people are finding really creative ways to make the universe all about them by yes. by crafting a bubble that they don't necessarily have to emerge from right uh, yes it's a double edged sword in that having all the information available to you in your pocket means that it's easier to feed confirmation bias. Yes. Um, Everybody wants to be validated. Nobody wants to be educated. Right. But it also allows us, like, if you are, like, it allows us to expose ourselves to things that we wouldn't necessarily be exposed to. And it allows people who maybe wouldn't listen to our podcasts, like, and and have these conversations, um, it allows them to be exposed to it. And, 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 it allows them to reach outside of their own communities and find people who uh, are able to broaden their horizons, which is essentially the first step to creating a better, more uh, integrated society. Yes, and I, I do agree broadly if we're talking big picture. Yes, and if than of a broad sword. Oh, no, but I mean, I agree with you, absolutely, but I'm setting up, like, my next thought. Like, broadly speaking, if we don't completely obliterate ourselves in the next year or so, as it seems like there's a real chance we may, uh, the 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 idea that the moral arc of the universe bends towards justice. Uh, yes, but it does so, so egregiously slowly that it feels like in the moment in the day in the because I get look uh, we say like how are we still having these conversations exact same word for word conversations 22 years later at the same time I understand that in the grand scheme of things that wasn't even a second ago right fine and over time I do like you say it's not that we've made no progress but it feels so much to me like okay so uh, the Iliad 
uh, gets a, a specific nod in the movie. Yes. But I'm reminded more so looking at these conversations that we're uh, either having or attempting to have, looking at them day to day as we're having them, I'm reminded of another Greek myth, uh, that of Sisyphus. Are you familiar with the myth of Sisyphus? Yes. So if you're listening and you're not familiar with the myth of Sisyphus, Sisyphus was a king, was a dick, and was punished for being a dick by the gods, and his punishment was every day you have to roll this massive boulder up a hill. It's going to be the most grueling, back-breaking, deeply unpleasant physical task. Every day you must do it. You must push it all the way up this hill. And every night, it's going to roll back down the hill, often hitting you as it does so. And then the next day, you have to start again, and you have to keep pushing it back up that hill. Mm -hmm. And even though, like I said, I do agree long-term, the moral arc of the universe may bend towards justice, day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month, feels like trying to have these conversations in an impactful way is a Sisyphean task. I would, I would actually, well, I have two things in that I don't, I personally don't believe that the universe bends towards justice. I, I, I believe that universe is ultimately indifferent, but I will say. I, okay. You're that in that sense, I do absolutely agree with you. And, a, it's an idea that I like more than I wholeheartedly <laughs> believe, but I do like to think that people, as we are given the opportunities to grow and improve, not everybody certainly, but I think over time enough people start to move in a better direction. It happens, again, incredibly slowly, so that even right. over generations, you may not see too much of a difference. Yeah. I agree that I don't, I don't think the universe itself cares very much yeah, either. But I will say that, like, going on with the Sisyphus metaphor, I, I, I think that it is more that, essentially, if you're tracking it, it is a series of hills instead of the same hill. I think that, ultimately, you are climbing the, the slopes of a large mountain in that you will climb up, you'll push that boulder up, and you'll hit a plateau, and maybe it'll dip a little bit, but ultimately you're pushing back up, still forward, but... This is actually, yes, that's actually a really excellent extension of the metaphor. Right. That I completely agree with. You're right, it's not one hill. Yeah. I think it's the same effect, but every once in a while you're able to push it over that peak. Now that does mean, unfortunately, it slides down, which is great, but then slides up, down, settles at the bottom, and you got to now start pushing again right and there are some nights where yeah it's going to roll all the way down and it's going to hit you in the face it's true but if you keep at it then yes i i oh dude well done that's a really excellent extension of that <laughs> metaphor and i was reading i did a little bit of reading after i watched the movie because i was like I, you know what i bet i bet with the quickest of google searches i could find two or three takes on this that are fascinating uh-huh and i did and there was a piece that i read i believe i believe it was for complex let me see if i can actually pull it up because i want to cite the writer, if I can, because I thought this piece was really interesting. And the piece was essentially about, it's called The Dark Legacy of Higher Learning. And it's by, it's from January of 2015. The writer's name is Julian Kimball. And the point that he's making when he refers to the dark legacy of the movie is about how little seems to have changed. And something he brings up in this piece that I hadn't really thought too much about that I found incredibly fascinating. So when this movie came out, I think one could argue we are living in uh, racially charged times now. 
we were then as well, very specifically in the window that this movie was released. Uh, this was weeks before the start of the OJ trial. Mm. And apparently, and I wasn't, I was, I was very young and I wasn't, uh, at the age where I'd be going to see this movie in a theater, but apparently in theaters all across the country, there would be fights, like actual physical fights breaking out at screenings of this movie because of how racially charged the atmosphere was then. Yeah. Which I found, I hadn't even really considered the the aspect of what was the sociopolitical climate when the movie came out. And of course, it's like, bro, how did you watch this movie and not consider that? But I tend to, the first time I watch a movie, I'm just watching it in a vacuum. Yeah. And then it's now granted, I came to this realization the same day I watched it. So everyone back up, back up off me. But it's, it's doubly fascinating when you take it in the sociopolitical context of American society at the time. God, I'm going to get so much hate for this. I'm going to go back to force awakens. Um, (laughs) No, but seriously, for a reason, when that movie came out, you had a lot of people online, a, a really distressing number of people online that, and maybe they're just like kids that are doing it because they think it's funny to troll people. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people, when the when Finn, uh, the John Boyega character, is the first face that pops up in that trailer, yeah, people getting real mad because they're like, well, this is just forced uh, political correctness, forced diversity, and like the social justice war is ruining everything, blah, 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 blah. And of course, we could get into a whole conversation about how a, that's nonsense. B, you've completely missed the point. C, it's not like this is the first black person in a Star Wars movie. But what I got really hung up on is this: the implication that these dudes, presumably white dudes, can't see their way towards empathizing with a character that doesn't look like them. Right. And I find that so, so distressing because how do you, how do you start this dialogue if you can't accept that yes your life experience may not be one-to-one with this other person's yeah but you're talking to a human being who has many despite having a very different background than you they have many of the same thoughts and feelings and hopes that you have yeah why why is it why is it it's indoctrination and brainwashing is a lot of it i mean yes they've never had to uh in the history of um, media and, and, and storytelling, a lot of the protagonists and a lot of people that ha- that they've had to relate to have looked like them. And so having to do the extra work of b- putting themselves in another person, it's, it's work, like, empathizing with people. It's real easy to just live in your bubble. And it's real easy to, like, go out of your way to understand where someone come... Uh, it, no, it's not easy to go, to go out of your way to... To, to understand where someone's coming from. And so like, yeah, it's a, it's a muscle that has to be flexed, but it's, it's, it's a hard one. And it takes a lot of mental uh, fortitude. It takes a lot of um, inward looking. It takes a lot of um, stamina. It takes stamina. Like it's tiring trying to be empathetic as someone who is, um, a black man living in this country trying to understand the perspectives of everyone around me, even the people I relate to and the people who uh, don't see me as their equal and the people who I have to interact with on a daily basis or the people I'm competing with, trying to understand them is exhausting. And so, like, so I get it. I get the idea of not wanting to do the work. 
I don't accept it. Right. Yes. Yes. Completely. It is. It is. You have to recondition yourself. Right. Especially if you've made it out of your adolescence into even early adulthood. Yeah. And a lot of, I think there are plenty of people who don't realize the way, the way that they have been incredibly privileged and have to one extent or another lived in a, a bubble where they've never had to confront the underlying prejudices that essentially define the bubble that they're in. Yeah. And a lot of, especially if you're white in America, especially if you were born after say the, the civil rights movement of the fifties and sixties, you maybe didn't have to, if you're, if you're a product of the late eighties, early nineties, and you, you were lucky enough maybe to not, at least to not be living below the poverty line. A lot of the time, even if you were, you've very possibly not been placed in a situation where you have to confront any of that i mean even in even in media like it wasn't until you know and i'm not i'm not necessarily proud to say this but it wasn't until fairly recently and i mean the last you know last few years where i really started to become cognizant of the lack of diversity in most mass entertainment that has ever been produced in this country yeah and the only reason it took me so long is because i've never really had to be cognizant of it. Right. Because even though, yes, I don't look like Channing Tatum, Channing Tatum, Channing Tatum is a white man in an industry full of entertainment led by and propped up by white men because other people weren't given the same opportunity. I've never had to, again, even though I don't look like, you know, the Abercrombie model, I've never had to look too hard to find somebody in a piece of mass media that looks more or less like I do. Yeah. And if you've never put too much thought into it, if you've never had to put too much thought into it, if you don't realize how fortunate you are to be able to look at a piece of entertainment and really quickly and easily see some version of yourself in it, then yeah, like you say, I, I get that it will take some effort to begin to recondition yourself. Mm-hmm. Oh, boy. Yeah. Well, on that note... Um, we're running a little long, so I'm going to wrap us up. Um, not a lot of, not a lot of scatological humor in this episode. Um, well, if you're listening to this on the toilet, make sure to subscribe to Missing Out. Uh, you can find us on Twitter. So while you're on, on the pooper, make sure to follow Missing Outcast. That's M-I-S-S-I-N-G-O-U-S-T. Yes. Wait, no? No, that's not what it is. O-U-T-C-A-S-T? Yes. Um, so, yes. With the missing sh- on the front of it. Yes. Make sure to follow Missing Outcast on Twitter. Um, you can also follow me. I'm Tari J. Miller. That's at Tari J. T-E-U-R-I-J-A-Y. And I am all over social media at the... Lex Michael and uh, I appreciate everybody that stuck with us through this conversation because this is definitely heavier just a good deal more real than a lot of the discussions we've been having on this show and yeah thank you if you stuck with us and I would love to engage with more of you guys on some of these topics I think like we were alluding to I think it's incredibly important that we're there for each other and we support each other and we open our minds and we are willing to listen and we're willing to respond in good faith I feel like that's the only way we can all move forward uh so yeah thank you guys for sticking with us and next week back to the back to the poop jokes yeah all the poop jokes next week um speaking of next week 
Um, and for the month of October, we would like to do kind of a horror theme, you know, that's it's spooky, scary Halloween time. And so we're going to be doing um, more like thrillers and, and horror things, um, which we're going to try to pull some people in. If you have any suggestions of things that uh, we should watch, please hit us up on our Twitter. Uh, also, uh, you can leave a comment in... Uh, in iTunes, uh, along with a sweet, sweet five-star, if you love what we're doing, review. Um, and let us know things that we should watch that you would like to hear us talk about for the month of October. Um, again, you can find us on iTunes. You can find us on the Google Play Store. You can also find us on podbean.com slash missing out or some combination. Just Google missing out podcast and you'll find us. Um, wherever where you are, wherever you want to listen to podcasts. Yeah, and I think there are a couple of more platforms that we're going to expand to in the pretty near future. But yeah, yes. I mean, there's there's definitely no shortage of, of places you can go and bug them about right. us. So uh, go do those things. Uh, as Lex said, thank you, thank you, thank you for listening. Thanks for supporting us. Uh, we appreciate all your tweets. We appreciate all your comments and things of that sort. Um, and until next week, bro, have a good time. Bro, unlearn. Yo, do, do things. Hey, unlearn. Bye.